the following message entitled Encourage, part three of the series Regroup, was given by Joe Ryer on the 17th of August, 2014. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindiana.org. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And today is um, the third message in a series that we began on biblical fellowship entitled Regroup. And today's focus is going to be on one very specific subject, which is the subject of encouragement. So today's message is entitled Encourage. And to set the, the stage, I want to read just a little bit of the beginning of this book called Dangerous Journey. This is a children's book um, based on John Bunyan's famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. I just want to read the beginning because I think it will set up the, the subject today of why we, we need encouragement, why we should encourage one another. And uh, let me just read the first two pages. John Bunyan writes, and this is an allegory. He says, as I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted on a certain place and laid me down to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. And the dream is this story of Pilgrim's Progress. He says, I dreamed that I saw a man with his face turned away from his own house, a book in his hand, a great burden on his back. I looked and I saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled. And not being able to contain himself, he broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do to be saved? For he lived in the city of destruction, which he learnt from the book was doomed to be burned with fire from heaven, in which fearful overthrow both himself and his wife and their four sons would miserably perish, unless there was some way of escape that could be found. So Christian, for that was his name, went home to talk to his family. And they were greatly worried, not because they believed that what he had said was true, but because they thought some kind of madness had got into the poor man. And as it was drawing towards night, they hoped that sleep might settle his brain. With all the haste, they put him to bed. And so Pilgrim's Progress begins with, with the journey of the main character, Christian, leaving the city of destruction and heading to the celestial city, which is heaven. And he has this great burden on his back. And through this journey, he, he encounters a number of things. So even in the children's version, here's the table of contents. He, he encounters the, the slough or the slough of despond, where he just sinks into despondency. Then he goes to the interpreter's house. Then he meets the hill of difficulty. And then he fights with Apollyon. And then he enters into the va valley of the shadow of death. And then he goes to a town called Vanity Fair, which is celebrating the world and worldliness and all it has to offer. And then he encounters Doubting Castle, where his mind begins to play tricks on him about what he believes. And then finally he comes to the Dark River, which represents him dying and, and crossing over. And it was a scary, terrifying thing. And the remarkable thing about Pilgrim's Progress is though it was written hundreds of years ago, it's so accurately describes the Christian journey from leaving the city of destruction to placing faith in Christ to just going on this wild adventure that's met with great mountaintop experiences and great discouragements and despondencies and doubts 
and great temptations to turn away as well. Well, I wanted to begin there because I think when it comes to the subject of encouragement, we're, we're no different than Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. We need to be encouraged. We need to encourage one another in the Lord. We need to have biblical strong conviction. And as we're thinking about fellowship groups or Sunday morning or any time we gather as Christians, one of the primary things we're called to do is to encourage one another. Let me just read a few verses and then I'll, I'll go into the, to the main points. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day. That word exhort is also translated um, in different Bibles, encourage. But exhort or urge or encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.1 or 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And then lastly, Hebrews 10.24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you have the image of Christian. He's leaving the city of destruction. Smoke is in the background. He sees way off in a distance, this celestial city with Jesus as king, and he's traveling there. And we're, if you've put your faith in Christ, you are on that journey. And to make it, we need to encourage one another. Now, the Greek word or words that are often translated encouragement, they can have a whole range and scope of meaning from anywhere from exhorting strongly, urging to calling onward to keep going, to providing comfort and tender care, to strengthen or build up or to just gently restore. So it's a, it's a wide range of meaning, even in some of the verses that I just read. And so my attempt today is going to be approaching the subject of encouragement in that broad sense of the word. Um, Webster's um, Unabridged Dictionary defines encouragement like this. To inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. To raise or to increase the confidence. To animate, enhearten, incite. Help forward. The opposite of discourage. The one dictionary I read, it just had a very simple example. His coach encouraged him throughout the marathon race to keep on running. So if you have ever run a long distance, the coach, in this example, at mile two, is there, you know, you're just starting, stay on your pace, keep going. At mile ten, when sweat's pouring down the, the runner's face, you're, you're almost halfway there, hang in there. At mile 23, when the, the runner's body is screaming and his breathing is, is labored and his form is falling apart, the coach is there saying, you, you're almost there. You are right around the corner. Keep going. Well, in a, in a sense, that's, that's what we want to do 
for one another. That when we start out this Christian race and put our faith in Christ and we have this long journey ahead, we want older Christians to help us understand the Bible and understand doctrine, understand how much Jesus loves us and how powerful he is. But, but that first mile is usually like the first mile of a race. It's exciting. It's easier than the ones to come. And so oftentimes it's the experience of us as pastors or just interacting with other Christians that it's the, the tenth mile, the, the fifth year, the, the tenth year, the fifteenth year into the, to the Christian life that you're beginning to get weary and you're, you're losing sight. And that's where as a church we need to encourage one another over and over again. So this is a very simple message, and I just have five simple ways that we're to encourage one another. Because the stakes are high, and the way God has designed it is He wants us all to encourage one another. Let's just pray for God's help. Lord, some of us may be near the end of this race. Some of us may be at the very first mile. And Lord, many of us are somewhere in between. And and we all need grace and power, strength from you. And Lord, we want to be an encouragement to one another to pursue hard after Jesus. So Lord, as a church, would you give us boldness and courage and faith and joy to, to motivate and encourage one another to follow hard after you. And Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, what are the kind of things we should encourage one another in? The list could be many, but I'm going to start with what I would think are some really core, important things. The first point is encourage one another to live for Jesus. Encourage one another to live for Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. When we gather in small groups or on Sunday morning, it's okay to talk about a thousand things. But we want to ultimately encourage one another to live for Jesus, to keep our eyes on the Lord, to remind us where all the joy in life ultimately comes from, where all the hope in life ultimately comes from. It, it's all about Jesus. And so we want to encourage one another to pursue hard after Jesus, to not follow other things that, that falsely promise joy. When Jesus alone is the source of all joy. We want to help each other point to Jesus. And there will be times in a given day or week where maybe a friend is is much more aware of Jesus and much more excited about Jesus and much more passionate about Jesus than you are at that given moment. Well, when you talk, then the effect is you stir one another up for Jesus. Encourage one another to pursue hard after Jesus. Now you might be thinking, well, are you talking to the wrong people? We are in a church. We're gathered to hear about Jesus. We 
250 of you signed up for fellowship groups. Uh, we want to do that. No, I don't think I'm talking to the wrong people. Because I know in my own life, my own mind, my own heart, I can be distracted to follow other things. And we need reminders from one another to keep our eyes on Jesus. I want to read a, 11 verses from 1 Thessalonians 5. And the context is... Um, they're talking about Jesus coming back, the return of the Lord. And so Paul is finishing the letter with that idea in mind. And listen to what he says. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, Let us be sober, having put on the the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In other words, the stakes are high. Jesus really will come back. We are either going to die and face the Lord, or He's going to come back. And so, throughout the Bible, particularly the New Testament, but throughout the entire Bible, God's Word is preparing us for that day where we meet with the Lord face to face. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that seems to be happening, I'm I'm 37 years old, is time's just like going really, really fast right now. We were at a picnic yesterday. It's an annual picnic that we go to every year. And I was talking to Mary on the drive home. It was like we were there like a day before the day we were there yesterday. A whole year passed by and we're back at the same place. And it was just like, it was flying by. And... I think the older we get, the more that feels like that's happening. Well, the connection I want us to make is, is what that means is we're going to meet with the Lord. As time is going faster, that means it's, it's coming that we're either going to be in heaven if we've trusted in Jesus because we died, we're going to be with Jesus, or he's going to return. In either case, what Paul's saying here is, is don't be children of the night pursuing sin and all the world offers, but be ready. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Live for Jesus now so you're ready when He returns. In the, in the book Pilgrim's Progress, one of the, the temptations that Christian runs into is, is the town of Vanity Fair and he meets a character named Worldly Wiseman. And he gets a lot of bad counsel about what to live for and, and what will satisfy him. And it, it's such a window into 
just the temptations and snares that we as Christians can, can be tempted to forsake Christ to pursue these other things. And as a church, we want you to encourage one another. No, it's all about Jesus. The joy, the satisfaction is going to come from Jesus alone. So what that means is when you see a Christian brother or sister going off course in another pursuit, whether sinful or just misplaced in priority, you should encourage them. You should go to them. Say, you know what? Here's the concern from what the Bible says. You're going the wrong way. It will not satisfy you. It will not end well. If you are God's son or daughter, God promises He will discipline you if you continue on this path. But because I love you and because God loves you, He wants to pull you back onto the right path. Well, when we do that, that that in a sense is encouragement. It's encouragement to live for Jesus. And when we get to heaven, when we either die or see Jesus because He's returned, we're never going to regret turning from sin and trusting in Christ. We're never going to regret, oh, Jesus, I, I probably spent too much time with you while I was on earth. Jesus, I probably told too many people about you. I shouldn't have done that. We will never, ever have that regret. And so we want to stir one another up to be pursuing hard after Jesus. And just along the lines of a a Christian brother or sister who's ensnared in sin. Let me just read a passage from Galatians 6, 1 to encourage us in our role. Brothers or sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So if you have a Christian friend who is struggling in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them Go after them. Rescue them. Then he gives one caution. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I think sometimes that churches and church members might get confused on this subject. They think that the pastors should always go after the people that are tangled up in sin. And it is our responsibility. But it's our responsibility as a whole church to do that. And, and think of it this way. It's not to condemn or punish but if we know where the source of life and joy is and we see a friend going in the opposite direction the most loving thing we can do is grab them and say what are you doing life is over here death is over here that is a loving thing we want to be a church that's bold enough to encourage one another to pursue hard after jesus Jesus is coming back. There is no doubt. And we're all going to die. So one way or the other, reality is going to hit us quickly. And if you're following the Lord and you're right with the Lord, it's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to be a wonderful day. But if you're crashing and burning your way into heaven, it's going to be a regretful day. It's going to be a sad day in many ways. It's going to be a painful day. Or if you have entirely rejected Jesus and the offer of salvation, that day will be a terrifying day. You will be beginning the first day of eternal wrath and punishment. And that's a scary day. That should be a scary day for you 
And here's the good news. You are alive today. And Jesus is offering salvation to you. He says, if anyone comes to me, you can be saved. So go to him today. So that that inevitable day when you do die, or Jesus does return, you'll be okay. You'll be with him forever. So encourage one another to pursue Jesus. Number two, encourage one another of our manifold spiritual blessings in Christ. Encourage one another of our manifold spiritual blessings in Christ. I often think if I can just remember the reality of my spiritual condition right now as a believer in Jesus Christ, nothing in the world should phase us because we are so spiritually rich in Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, you and I who have trusted in Christ, we are spiritually loaded. We are spiritually blessed. You are rich, spiritually speaking, in Jesus. Not because of how you feel, not because of your performance as a Christian, but all because of what Christ has done for you. You are blessed in every way. So imagine a fellowship group or a Sunday morning when all you did was encourage one another about your reality spiritually, that you are an adopted daughter of the King of the universe. So if you really believe that, whatever you came into that that meeting worried about or thinking about or concerned about, doesn't mean it goes away, but you know, oh no, God loves me so dearly. I'm his daughter. He hears when I call to him. Everything's going to be okay. Or if you struggle with feeling condemned, but you have faith in Christ, remember, you have been declared righteous once for all. You will never be punished for your sins because of what Jesus has done. That is good news. Here's one of the most amazing blessings that I think is so hard to get our minds around. When you were born again, God's Spirit came inside of you, and He dwells in you. God himself dwells in us. That is incredible. That is an incredible reality. So you might think, I feel so alone. I feel, I feel like nobody is encouraging me. And that, that could be a real reality. But even in those moments, God himself loved you so much, he sent his son and made a way for his Holy Spirit to actually reside inside of you. That is incredible. And we need to encourage one another of that spiritual reality that oftentimes has nothing to do with our feelings whatsoever. has everything to do with believing the truth, mining these nuggets that are in the Bible. So encourage one another what we have received in Christ. Encourage one another in, in reminding each other of this great deliverance that occurred for each of us. Listen to what Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So think about this for a moment. Maybe you were five years old when you prayed a prayer and put your your faith in Jesus. And it was real. And you were born again. Well, maybe what you didn't realize at that moment is you changed citizenship at that moment. When you put your faith in Christ, you went from being in the domain of darkness, ruled by an evil prince of darkness, a cruel master, and you were enslaved to that city of destruction. And then you placed your faith in Jesus and you were transferred to a new kingdom, to a new heaven, to a new citizenship that the king himself is a loving king, a powerful king, an all-knowing king. And he's a king that loves his subjects so much that he entered our world, really his world, to purchase us. That happened when you trusted in Christ. That's incredible. And think about that. You belong to Jesus if you've trusted in Him. And so you're under His rule. And you're protected by His rule as well because you are a daughter or son of the Most High King. We need to remember that. We need to remind each other that. Let me just read one more verse along those lines. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were... You did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. You belong to the king. You are in his kingdom. And think about that. That's an incredible spiritual reality. And I was thinking, we just went on vacation a few weeks ago to the beach, and we did preparation to get there. We did a lot of preparation. We brought way too much stuff like we do every year. Had For some reason, I brought like 15 t-shirts and you are like, what are you doing? I don't know. I, I get sweaty. I'm just going to bring a lot of stuff. So I, I, I just brought a lot of stuff. And, you know, our minivan is packed. We get to the beach. We, we used very little of what we, we brought. But there was a lot of preparation for one week. Think of it this way. We are going to be with Jesus for all eternity. All eternity. We will be there forever with Him. And... One way to prepare for that is just getting to know Him and enjoy Him now. Because you're going to be with Him forever. And when we get there, we're going to be so glad that we've spent time with Him, that we've told other people about Him, that we enjoyed the realities of our salvation, that we enjoyed the the adoption that He granted us. It's not that he just wants us to enjoy it when we get there. No, he wants us to enjoy it now, to taste it now. And how that comes is by really believing verses that describe our present spiritual reality. So encourage one another when, when you talk to a, a church member, to a friend, to another Christian in town, and they're, they're, they're downcast, they're, they're discouraged. Remind them 
of just their present reality. You know what? You are God's adopted son. God is for you. No matter what your circumstances tell you, God is absolutely for you. So encourage one another in your spiritual realities. Number three, encourage one another in the power of the gospel. Encourage one another in the power of the gospel. So a very familiar verse to many of you. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. You might be thinking once again, do you know who you're talking to? I do know who I'm talking to. I didn't prepare for, for the wrong group. But I think we forget how powerful the gospel message and Jesus being the center of the gospel message is. That's why I love Romans 1.16. For it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Think about it this way. In the gospel, we have the ultimate cure for the ultimate problem. We have the ultimate cure for the ultimate problem. What's the ultimate problem? The ultimate problem is we have sinned against the holy God who promises to execute justice on us. That's for every human being, no matter what tribe, tongue, or nation. And in the gospel, God solves that problem. So he can be just and the justifier. So he said, yes, Humanity has sinned against me. I'm going to send my perfect son to live perfectly, to die as their substitute, take the wrath that they deserve upon themselves, and give new life to anyone who believes that message. And it is powerful. It is packed with power. And we need to remind each other of how powerful it is. We need to remind each other by telling our own story of our experience when we came to Christ. We need to encourage each other for whatever situations we're in with the power of the gospel. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know if I, if I should do that or can do that or how I would do that. Let me, let me just give you a, a practical example. You and I, we do this all the time. When we get excited about something that we think can help us, we tell everybody. We put it on social media. We tell our friends. We just talk about it all the time. So, Think about it this way. This isn't to offend anyone. I will qualify. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. Some are more suspicious than others, but none of them are bad. So think about an exercise program that you hear about that. It will revolutionize your body in 30 days. And then you try it, or usually you don't try it, but you heard somebody knew somebody who did it, and they're actually very fit. So then you start telling everybody about it. So you do that. Or it's a, a dietary supplement that says... Hey, you can eat potato chips. You never have to exercise. You don't even have to walk to your car. Just sit down. You're going to lose weight. Not only are you going to lose weight, but you can get healthy. You're going to be happy. You're not going to have any problems. And you'll probably get rich too just by taking this. Well, if that's, that's an exaggeration. But when those things come around, they, 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 they travel. And, and we promote them. And we get very, very excited about them. And, and the legitimate ones, they really can improve your life to a degree. And so they're, they're, they're good. They, they, they benefit. They can be kind gifts from God. The extreme ones make you suspicious. But the, the good ones, they really do benefit. So we, we tell our friends because they want, 
we want them to experience what we experienced. That's not a bad thing. But think about this. You have experienced the ultimate cure for the ultimate problem. That on judgment day, when a mass of humanity is standing before the Lord, you have experienced the cure. So you're going to be welcomed into heaven. It's true. And it's happened to you. So that should encourage us to share it with others and to remind each other. So in a fellowship group or on a Sunday morning, you know, as we're, we're talking about parent challenges, let's remind ourselves that we have the ultimate cure for the ultimate problem for our kids, for our teenagers, for our adult children. That the power of God is displayed in the gospel. It can sound so simple, but you and I have experienced it. We know it's real, we know it's true, and we know it's powerful. We need to remind each other of its power. We have a number of of people in the church that do campus ministry-related things. And, And so as you're on campus, remember, it's not your clever arguments or how good you are at apologetics or how much world history or church history, how many religions you understand, the power is in the gospel. And you have that power that you can share and watch Jesus rearrange and change people's lives. We need to remind each other. A number of you go to the local county jail and state prison and drug and alcohol rehab places. Remember, when you go, when I go, I'm believing that Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible, is the ultimate cure to the ultimate problem that every one of the the men and women that we have the privilege to talk to need. And there's real power in that. It doesn't matter what the statistics say. It doesn't matter how bleak life looks. It it doesn't matter how much devastation has been brought onto themselves personally or in the family, how many relationships have been severed. There's power in the gospel, in Jesus, and coming to him that can rearrange and change everything. He can deal with the hurt and the shame and the brokenness, and he can make everything that was wrong right. That's a powerful message. And we have that message in the gospel, and we need to remind each other when we pray together. I know a number of you are teachers are working in public schools or private schools and you're around a lot of children who don't know the Lord. And because of your job and probably contract, you can't say a lot, but you can pray along these lines. Lord, what they need the most is Jesus. They need the ultimate cure for the ultimate problem. And that's what you pray. You pray and when opportunity presents itself, you share boldly. Number you work on the university level as well. It's the same thing. There is real life-changing, transforming power in the gospel. And we need to remind each other of that. So encourage one another in the power of the gospel. Fourth, encourage one another that God is at work in each other's lives. We can at times just be way too aware of our weaknesses, failures, shortcomings, sins, than where God is actually at work in our lives. We need each other to tell us, I see Jesus at work in your life 
in this area. That's very, very encouraging. Listen to what Philippians 2 says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen to this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you. God is at work in every believer's life. There is no doubt. But at times, as individual believers, we're not aware. We can't see it. Oh, we can see is, oh, I shouldn't have said that to my friend. I shouldn't have said that to my child. Oh, I should pray more. I should read more. I should tell more people about Jesus. I should be kinder to my neighbor. I should, you know, fill up the list. By the time that list is over, you're not thinking, wow, look how I'm growing as a Christian. You're thinking, oh, I'm so pathetic. I'm a terrible representative of Jesus. That's not true, spiritually speaking, but that's how we feel. And so we need each other to say, no, that's not the case. You are changing. God is growing you. In my backyard, we, we moved into our present house three, about three years ago, and we have a lot of tall red pine trees. And what's interesting is from my backyard, like from our porch, it, I couldn't tell you if the trees have grown at all. It's just this large group of 100 trees that just kind of stands there. But I imagine if I measured them from three years ago, they're all growing steadily upward. Um, now, the trees aren't like us. They, they don't look discouraged when I go in my backyard. They're not like, oh, heads hanging, branches hanging, I feel so bad. No, they're just growing, and they're happy, and they're, they're housing birds and all that kind of stuff. But we're not like that. We need encouragement. We need to, to be encouraged by brothers and sisters and say, God has changed you. I have known you for this long, and you once were like this, and now you're like this. God is at work. Paul describes some of that evidence as spiritual fruit in Galatians 5. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They are fruit. That's fruit that, that the Holy Spirit produces. And we want to point that out to one another. Wow, you, you have grown in being loving and kind. Now, don't say it in such a way like implying you once were terrible. That doesn't really encourage. But, but you're joyful. You have peace amidst the difficult circumstance. You are very patient with the current situation God has placed you in. You are gentle. You are faithful. You are growing in self-control. God is at work in your life. That's encouraging when we talk to each other and point out God's at work. Because you might get up in the morning tired, achy, aware of all the things you should have done that you haven't done. We need encouragement from one another. So encourage one another where you see God at work. And lastly, and I'm going to get into this more next week, encourage one another by prayer and friendship. Encourage one another by prayer and friendship. By prayer and friendship. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So Paul even models a prayer that we could pray for one another. I want to encourage us as a church to pray for one another. Pray for each other. Pray very specifically for each other. Go to the church directory and just start and and pray for one. You don't have to know all the details. Lord, I pray all these things in Colossians for whoever you, you see in the directory. That is a loving way to bless someone and strengthen the church. As you join a fellowship group, pray regularly and often for those who are in your group. It will do a a thousand good things as you do that. Pray for one another. Once again, we're we're not in the Old Testament where it's only the priest on a certain time in a certain way that can go before the Lord. No, we're, we're in the new covenant. and We believe in the priesthood of all believers. So we all have access to God equally because what Jesus has done. So it's not just the pastors pray. It's everybody prays for one another. And think about that. Imagine a year of us all just praying for one another. And I know, I know many of you do pray for one another. But imagine doing it all the more. That will strengthen the church. It'll prepare us to welcome more people in and to be bolder for the gospel and to travel all over the world and be bold for the gospel. So pray for one another. You know, it's, in a sense, it's just like a, a brother or sister going to the parent on behalf of the other brother or sister. That's a, that's a kind thing. You know, that, that melts a parent's heart if a, if a, a child not in not with suspicious motives, not with mixed motives, but just goes, hey, Dad, would you consider this for my brother? Well, that, that gets my attention. That would even get my attention more than if the brother directly came. So that, that's what we're doing when we come to the Lord for one another. And then lastly, I'm going to develop this a lot more next week, is encourage one another with friendship. That we don't want to just like load the Bible gun and just start shooting people with truth. That it doesn't help. It doesn't, even though it's absolutely true, when you just get shot, you're like, I don't even know if you know my name, and I just got shot by you with, with a Bible bullet. Um, versus a friend doing the exact same thing, saying the exact same thing. The difference is there's a friendship behind it. You know they're for you, you know they're with you, and it has just this unique, encouraging, edifying, experience. And here's the beauty of being in a church where Jesus is the center. Friendships do not have to be based on hobbies, personalities, music tastes, things that you like. No, our unity is in Christ, and so our friendships can be in Christ. Some of my closest friends are are very, very different than me. But they, they, they love Jesus, and Jesus is at the center. And so it's it's a wonderful blessing. So pursue friendships with one another. But what I want you to hear more than anything is encourage one another. Go to one another. So just as way of recap, 
Encourage one another to live for Jesus. Encourage one another of our manifold spiritual blessings in Christ. Encourage one another in the power of the gospel. Encourage one another that God is at work. Encourage one another by prayer and friendship. Let me just read Hebrews one more time. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray and the band can come up. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be an encouraging church to one another. That we would be filled with biblical encouragement, true encouragement. That it would be obvious that we're praying for one another by the way that all these prayers are being answered. Lord, we want to to grow in joy at knowing what it really means to be a Christian. It really means to be your son or daughter. So Lord, even as we sing this final song, Lord, fill us with joy, the reality of what you have done for us. And Lord, pray that we would all be encouraged by you today. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.